Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Naveed Tajani. At Ojo Labs, Naveed has been able to flawlessly execute the most important strategic milestones such as fundraising, acquisitions, and government partnerships, while not losing sight of the company's long-term vision. As CFO, he oversees financial reporting, financial planning, corporate development, and business operations. Naveed has worn multiple hats since joining Ojo in 2015 as one of the first few employees, helping iterate on the early product and shaping the initial product strategy. Over the years, he has recruited top talent to the organization, established critical financial and human resource systems, and opened Ojo offices in Austin, Texas, and Vaux Fort, St. Lucia. Under his leadership, the company has raised over $130 million in venture capital from top-tier, mission-aligned investors, and also successfully acquired and integrated four companies. When looking for investment partners, Naveed understands that raising capital from the right partner is critical. Many of the investment partners from whom he has helped secure funding are strategic partners and customers, which aligns interests and the commitment to mutual success. When Naveed is away from the numbers, he can be found supporting his wife's software company that provides a rich computer science education to K-12 students across the country. Locally, Naveed makes a continued effort to meet with emerging finance talent to offer career advice and mentorship, something he was the lucky recipient of and is determined to pay forward. He is deeply invested in ensuring that the city of Austin attracts the best and brightest talent to support the rapid growth they are experiencing. Naveed, thank you for joining me today. I'm honored to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Megan. Today, we're going to be discussing one of my favorite topics, which is talent, how to attract, train, and retain the best and brightest. It's getting more and more difficult. In fact, I just read an article this morning that the U.S. is facing one of the worst labor shortages in history, and it's not just at the lower levels. So, Naveed, I'm very excited to hear about your experience building high-performing teams and keeping them. So let's get started. Sounds good. First of all, tell me about your career progression and how it is that you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in, a, in an entrepreneurial family. The topic at the dinner table was often business. Uh, and so I got my dinner table MBA, I would say, <laughs> uh, early on uh, in my life. Uh, and I think that's what that's what initially sparked my interest in the world of business in general. Um, I was always quantitatively inclined. And so when I was thinking about colleges, uh, I gravitated towards the finance path, not really knowing what it was about, but knew that it sounded pretty good. And so uh, applied to a few schools and landed on on NYU uh, for undergrad, uh, which is uh, which is a great finance school, great city to be in, obviously, for finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I started, I realized, well, uh, the textbooks I, I know that I have to go get, um, that sounds good, but what do people do uh, in this field? And so almost immediately, I got an internship um, and uh, at a hedge fund. Um, it was a, uh, an admin role, I remember, stapling papers and putting reports together. Uh, but you know, for me, it was really just important to be around that environment to understand, is this something that I want to do? Because if I don't, I need to get out now. NYU is not cheap. So uh, we, that, that experience was wonderful. We, I, you know, in doing the admin work, I learned what the analysts were doing and then eventually convinced them to give me 
more advanced work and and really understood that world and, and thought that I could do that. So I worked all through college uh, just just to have that experience. Um, and then not going to lie, a little bit of money in your pocket in New York City was was kind of nice. So that uh, that was a meaningful experience for me uh, and really got me got me started. So I started out of NYU at uh, a firm called Credit Suisse, which is an investment bank. Uh, as an investor. Um, so there were about 30 of us um, and we were managing over $20 billion in assets. So I learned quickly uh, what responsibility looked like and that your any any mathematical errors could be very costly. So that was uh, that was a wonderful experience. I would say that's where I got my formalized training. Even today, I tell folks coming out of college, like having that background and sort of base is, is really important for, for a lot of people, not all people. But for me, certainly, it was a meaningful experience, and so through that experience, I, you know, I had to follow companies. I had a portfolio, and I would talk to CEOs and CFOs of these companies and super interesting businesses. And I realized that I, I may actually have more interest on being on the other side of the table. And so that's that's when I started to reflect when I was around 24 years old, thinking, you know, I could do the Wall Street path for a very long time, um, but I don't know that. I will ever want to leave to go operate at some some later point. So maybe I go try that out now. So in, t- in 2010, I joined Yodel, which um, was an online marketing company, uh, venture backed, um, and was about a like $30 million business. So it, it was sizable enough as a risk averse finance professional. I, I thought that was a good leap to take and um, you know, uh, went over to, to work for the CFO there as the first financial analyst. And so that was my first foray into startups, and uh, that was a, a very meaningful experience for me. Um, and that business grew dramatically. Um, and actually, the founder of Yodel is, is uh, the current CEO of my current company, Ojo, and that's actually how I met him. Um, but after Yodel, I, I went off to business school at Wharton um, just to sort of reflect and, 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 and get that sort of higher level education. Um, and then moved down to Austin, Texas, where I live currently uh, for another startup prior to coming to called Main Street Hub, uh, prior to coming to Ojo. Um, and today I'm CFO of the company. I've been here since uh, 2015 as a second employee on the team. And we are, you know, over 750 strong today. So seen a lot of growth. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like you've uh, lived through a lot of adventures and very impressive career and, and education. So as you look back throughout your career, are there any particular stories or moves that really stand out in your mind as being a turning point? Yes, I would say that decision to leave Wall Street and go to Yodel was the, the, a very you know, important and pivotal moment. I, if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would be in the, in the startup world that I'm in today. And so that was really important. You know, at Yodel, uh, I learned a ton. I I left a very lucrative job to go to, you know, kind of not starting over, but also starting at the very bottom at, at Yodel. Uh, and but in two years, we went from 30 million in revenue to 90 million in revenue. I was able to do a fundraise round. We acquired a company. We went from 250 employees to a th- nearly a thousand employees. And the finance team ballooned. I learned how to hire and hire well uh, when I was there. And that group of people that we formed at Yodel working for that CFO is is a group that I am very much connected to today. 14 of us are CFOs of different companies or COs or CEOs. 
And so that kind of legacy that that our former boss left there uh, and, and from there on was something that was really inspiring and continues to inspire through today. Yeah, you make a great point. I mean, it's always, it's hard to change paths in a career, but it only gets harder as you move up. So, I mean, I guess that's something that maybe younger people should be thinking more about is, is are they on the right path? It's hard to know, but. Yeah. And I think that it's a, that's a good point. And it's, it's good to be introspective early on and not to just do the thing that everybody expects you to. And, and, and no one, no one sort of knows what they, they want to be when they grow up. I would say I stopped doing 10-year plans 15 years ago and realized that, you know, there is no such thing, right? Yeah. And you need to let, lean on mentors and people that have been there, done that to get perspective. And you should constantly be getting perspective to inform your choices. But in, in no way is, is anyone asking you to have all the answers because no one, nobody does. So, Yeah, not even at the highest levels. That's right. So what does your current organization, Ojo Labs, do? Yeah, so so Ojo is, you know, we're transforming the way that folks uh, buy and sell homes. Uh, our mission is to level the playing field uh, in, in home buying, home selling, and home owning. Um, generally, we believe that this space, uh, you know, while is going digital, is not serving every consumer in the same way. Access to home ownership is is not equitable today. So we we aim to to strive 100 out of 100 consumers serve 100 out of 100 consumers rather uh, by ensuring that everyone is able to view and search for homes in a way that that has never happened before. Um, you know the the typical home search experience is just bedrooms and bathrooms. But if you've worked with a real estate agent, uh, they are they're gathering a lot of data from you on sort of your financial, you know, your financial considerations, your family situation, your work situation, your desires, your aspirations, and trying to package that into your preferences. We we use technology to do that um, at scale, uh, just because there are something like, you know, there's hundreds of millions of folks every month looking at homes. And we know at the bottom of the funnel that there are about 5 million transact, five to 6 million transactions that happen in any given year. So the consideration phase of this process is very long and there's a lot uh, of folks going through it and it's a scale problem. So what we do is we use technology to gather those preferences to be there for you, um, you know, you know, on our websites, also through our digital advisor product, which is a two-way messaging service that you message with like you would with a friend asking any question about the process or about homes. And when you're ready for a real estate agent, we, we match you with the, the right one for you based on your preferences, where you're looking and, and what will work out best for you so that you have access and a shot at, at purchasing a home. Um, and uh, we also connect you with other service providers such as mortgage professionals um, and other verticals to ensure that you have everything you need to, to complete that transaction. Wow. Um, I've always used realtor.com, but it sounds like you guys add a lot more value. Yeah, we, we um, you know, all of those sites do a great job uh, in terms of the experience that they're trying to provide um, on the home search side. We, we like to follow you from search to signing, as we'd like to say. And so it's really important to us that we get you to your goal. Um, and, and that's really important for the service providers that we have in our in our network as well, that their goal is to get folks to transact um, on a home and our goal is to get consumers there. And so we don't really leave that journey until the consumer has, has achieved what they wanted 
um, for themselves. And tell me about the culture at Ojo Labs. What qualities does Ojo value in its workforce? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we are, you know, we're very values driven. Um, I remember because at Ojo, I'm considered the the old guy in the room, um, just because I've been here since since sort of the, the very beginning. We spent a ton of time on 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 figuring out our core values. So, uh, we have five of them. Um, it's hire great, show compassion, embrace discovery, relentlessly improve, and earn trust. And those. Those took us a very long time to develop, um, and and I really I had not been at a company this early uh, in the past. And when we were doing it, frankly, I thought that it was not really a worthwhile exercise because I was like, you know, it's just what we're going to put on the walls potentially. Uh, and and so why are we spending so much time on this? I have realized that that's not true at all. And so we live these values every single day. And it's one of those things where if if someone is not you you hear folks will say, you know, hey, like one of our values is to, to hire great, as an example. Are you sure this candidate checks the boxes that we had outlined when we started? Are we are we settling? Right. Are, are you is it not the right fit uh, for them or for us? And so, you know, that that's a that's really important um, for us uh, in terms of culture, as we define it, is to ensure that that folks are aligned with those values that that we've set out. Um, but overall, and, and this comes from our founder, we believe in a culture of transparency and and sort of ruthless transparency. And so, you know, as CFO, there are things at times where, you know, your CEO is sharing information and you're kind of like, should you be sharing that? You know, is that really relevant? Do you need that? And what I've learned is uh, by being sort of tested um, is that when you treat folks like adults and you are transparent about why decisions are made or where the revenue in the company is or the challenge that we face with an investor or a process, they become more invested in your company and in, in, in the purpose and the vision than if you just sort of hide behind a wall and, and share only when needed to. Um, I think so many folks come to work and spend you know, way more hours at work than they do many times with their significant others or their families. And so it's important that they feel like they're getting the full truth and, and seeing everything. Um, and that that really drives our culture. We, we have a high performance culture. We hire incredibly well uh, and, and we're fortunate about that. And so we, we have to make sure we retain talent um, and, and doing so requires the, the value driven culture, setting them and then living them. I feel like the default is always to protect people by, you know, not divulging all the information, but that always causes more anxiety in the end. So I, I like the fact that you guys believe in transparency. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I believe that uh, the transparency, when you think about it, provides certainty in a way. Uh, lack of transparency creates uncertainty and paranoia and, yeah. and leads to, leads to you know, unproductive outcomes. I think in the last 18 months or so, you know, as we've lived through COVID, we we realize that the world is an uncertain place, especially at home, right? Usually folks go home and it's it's your family or another, or you're living on your own, but you have your environment, you have your routines. That whole world has been rocked. And so we realize that in the workplace, you need to provide that certainty. And so in the last 18 months, we become more transparent, not less, right? It's become 
more transparent on why we make certain decisions around office closures or, or reopening plans or why we take away certain perks or you know what what we're doing with certain investment areas in the in, in the business like those are those are things that are really important to to provide specifically in times of of uncertainty i would say and having been there since the beginning what are your proudest achievements since joining ojo yeah, I would say you know we've uh, we've been lucky to have done incredibly well uh, over the last uh, you know I've been here almost seven years at this point, um, and so you know we we've grown incredibly well. You know, if you look at some a stat on just sort of like the Inc. Five Thousand, uh, you know, our three-year revenue growth is is near seven thousand percent. We landed at number forty-nine on the Inc. Five Thousand list um, uh, this past year, and number one in Texas, and so. We've enjoyed that that sort of that external validation, but I would say that the internal validation of just being at a company that where we've hired some of the best and brightest uh, in our space, uh, whether it's technology and product or it's you know finance, marketing, uh, operations. We we are we hire the best that we can that we can find that align with our values and. That is what I'm most proud of when I think about it. I, I come to work, I'm having a tough day. It's just the people that I'm looking at, whether it's boxes on a screen or people in an office that, that get me going, right? That's that's actually what motivates me and, and so many of us. And, and I mean that when I say like, when we put that value down as our first one, the higher great one, that has really defined um, how we've done and also our achievements. Um, outside of that, we've done you know, sort of four acquisitions to date. Um, we've raised over $180 million from really great investors. And, and when I say great, I don't just mean great firm names. I mean the partners. I think that the, the people you raise money from are just as important as the firm name, if not more important. And, and we've got a very supportive investor base that supported us through a very challenging time last year as everyone went through. Um, and and are are all, always there for us, you know, regardless of what we need. Yeah. So I guess it. I mean, it really comes down to the people and who you surround yourself with. I think yes. It can be. Uh, it can make or break. You know, enjoying your career versus not. Absolutely. And so you're fortunate to work for a fast-growing company, but that comes with its own challenges. So how do you make sure that you're hiring the best talent? when you look at look for talent for each role. Yeah, absolutely. So we are we're very intentional about our recruiting process. That that's an incredible uh incredibly important part of of hiring great and and it maybe what I'm saying sounds obvious but but it's important to say out loud and say it's intentional and structured. And so, you know, our our processes internally um we ensure they're equitable. And so one example of that is, you know, we we create competencies that we need for a role, right? So often in a job description, you'll see like, you know, you would have these qualifications, but then also here are the ta- tasks that you're going to do. I only have a couple of hours to vet somebody that I may work with for several years. So I need to be incredibly thoughtful on the questions that we're going to ask to evaluate those competencies. And so having those down on paper, sharing them with the entire interviewing team um, on our side and saying, hey, you're going to evaluate, as an example, a growth mindset on this person. And here are the, the six questions you can choose from. 
but you have to ask these six questions. Like you have to ask one, you have to ask one of these six questions. You don't have a choice to like go off the rails um, and do some sort of like off the cuff, a quote interview because human beings by their nature have bias. Right. And so if I like someone, I may just forget to ask them questions and then come back with feedback saying we should hire them. But when we go through the, our round tables after the interviews, which we do after, after each set, we ask, did you ask this question? And if you didn't, I've had situations where I've re-interviewed candidates, apologized to them, said, hey, I'm sorry that, that we didn't get to the questions that we wanted. Would you be willing to re-interview? In some cases, a candidate may not be willing to, and that's totally fine because that's on us. And um, in other cases, we've seen, they said, yeah, we'd love to spend, I'd love to spend more time with you. But having sort of that, that question bank uh, is is important and and being scripted is okay because that's the that's the only way you can ensure that you're equitable and and you're being objective and so that's a that's a really important part uh, of of hiring well we also train our teams on the art of in- interviewing so I remember even in at Credit Suisse I, I was very interested in, in in helping the recruiting effort I was always on the on campus recruiting teams uh, trying to get talent in. But I don't remember, you know, outside of like one or two trainings, like it wasn't something that was talked about often in terms of what you're looking for. So I, you know, I would just sort of, you know, ask questions as they came to mind, but, you know, try to be structured, but I was never trained in it. And and I think it's important to train folks on how to interview because it's not intuitive. The intuitive thing to do is do you like this person or not? And that's not what we're evaluating um, in, in this process. That is so true. I mean, you know, we've all interviewed, but very few of us have had any real training in the process. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And the other thing we do is we we do a practical exercise for every single role. And and so as an example, for our financial planning candidates, they do a, uh, a financial uh, modeling exercise and a data analysis exercise that's time bound that they have to do. And we tell folks up front in the process they, saying, hey, this is the time expectant, like here's how much time you should expect to spend on our interview process and totally understand if you're not willing to, but we wanna tell you up front, here are the stages, here's what you're gonna go through. And some folks would not wanna enter that kind of process. And so they don't, which is totally fine with us, but it's, it's better than surprising folks throughout that process that, hey, we've got this other step. But that gives us you know, a good idea of the work product that this person is going to do. It also gives us an idea of their intent and level of interest. And so, you know, again, you're, you're making a decision that impacts potentially years uh, within hours. And so when you do that, you've got to be structured and rigorous. And what tools are approach or approaches are you using to assist in the recruiting process? Yeah, so we are, you know, we use a couple of, of systems um, on the on the hiring side. So like just from like a tactical, technical perspective, we use a software called Lever um, that was implemented not too long ago. It compiles the feedback. We ensure that every manager is adding feedback after the interview. And it's important to do it as close to after the interview as possible. And I have to admit, there's been times where I've you know waited a day and I'm looking for my notes and I'm like, oh my God, I don't remember this, right? And so... It's, it's really important to, to follow that kind of process and, and write it down. And then, as I mentioned, the roundtable. So, so we don't just say, you know, put your feedback in and then I look at your rating and I say, okay, if they're all pluses, I go ahead and, and hire. Usually there's a lot more context behind that rating. And sometimes the ratings are not as objective as you think. And so you have to tease out the feedback in a roundtable type discussion. So our recruiting team does a, a wonderful job of 
of coordinating that um, that whole process and 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 uh, and and also scheduling candidates. Uh, we we have a we have a recruiting concierge as an example that is attached to each uh, candidate and and is the liaison, so to speak. So you know. Often, you know, when, when you're interviewing, you think about um, yourself as, you know, the interviewers in the power seat, but that's not true at all. It's actually a two-way street. And one of the things I say to folks at the end or at the beginning of, of, of interviews, regardless of level is, you know, thank you for your time. Time is the biggest investment you can make. And so the fact that you sat down with me to, to talk me through your background and let me actually ask you a million questions is, is is a is a big sacrifice and, and and a commitment. And so I appreciate that. And and you'd be surprised with you know some of the like the candidates that are like, you're thanking me, like I'm supposed to, you know, but it's it it goes both ways. It, that's who we are as a company, and that's important to to signal uh to folks that that we value that. And so that 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 is sort of the process, if you will, um, that, that really helps us. Yeah, it is a two-way street. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to like them, but but they also have to like you. Otherwise, it's not right. a good fit. That's right. So with the talent market so tight right now, how do you differentiate Ojo from other employers? Yeah, we are, especially we've all learned this in the last 18 months, is that everyone has had this moment of, why do I do what I do? What does my company really do in this world? And so purpose is a very important thing. And I would say that we've been a purpose-driven company, but have accelerated that in the last 18 months and that the problem we're solving to level the playing field in housing is something that, that really does differentiate us. We're not, our goal is not to be the most profitable company in the world or the highest valued company in the world. We believe that those things will come if you add value to the world, but you can do that in a non-mission-driven way or you can do it in a mission-driven way. And, and that latter piece is important to us and important to the folks that come to work for us. They, they often leave companies saying that company didn't have sort of a purpose or, or a direction and that, that was evident. And, and oftentimes it's not because that companies don't have that. They may just not be talking about it. The founders may have a deep desire and, and mission-driven idea, but they just don't convey it in the right way. So again, the transparency helps here and we talk about it. We talk about what we're doing. And if there are things and decisions that we make that fly in the face of that, that are business decisions, somebody will call it out and say, does this really hit the 100 out of 100? Because if it doesn't, we should say it doesn't. And then say, okay, is that going to be the long-term strategy or is that a temporal thing? And how do we make it so that that doesn't just get itself ingrained in our culture and in our mission, I'm sorry, in our strategy rather. And so that's an important one. Megan, I would say, is the purpose-driven. Um, and I think folks are, are really looking to, to join companies like that. Outside of that, you know, fair compensation, uh, we spend in, uh, a lot of time ensuring that we are paying fairly um, and, and doing that both in terms of, you know, you know, salary and bonus and cash compensation and also long-term incentives like stock options um, and, and other long-term, you know, incentives tied to value of the company. And so, Nearly every employee um, at, at Ojo has that and, and feels a sense of ownership uh, in the company because of that. And so that's really important to us um, to make sure that we continue to do um, for, for prospective employees and, and new and existing employees the like. So at your point about being purpose driven, I feel like that's so important these days. Companies could have maybe gotten away with that 20 years ago, having no mission, but 
you know, times have changed and people want to feel like they're doing something meaningful. That's right. Absolutely. And of course, attracting talent is only half the battle. Um, I read a statistic not too long ago that the average employee changes job every changes jobs every 4.2 years. So how do you make sure that you retain your top talent? Yeah, I think the there's a couple of things. So I mentioned the compensation thing, which is, you know, I could I could almost say that's table stakes. I don't think that's a differentiating factor, right? If you're not data-driven and how you pay and paying fairly and, and having short-term and long-term incentives, that's sort of, you know, it's very hard to win in that uh, without that. I would say beyond that, it comes down to sort of active feedback and, and, and career discussions that are happening ongoing. So, you know, we do the annual performance review. We do 360 reviews. Uh, we have those forums and, and those processes in place, which a lot of companies do. But I think active feedback, meaning in the moment feedback is really incredibly, incredibly important to do and, and engage in. And it's very, it's not intuitive for most people. And it's, it, it sometimes feels like it could be confrontational if it's negative, if it's constructive. Um, but, but this goes with both sides, right? It's, it's positive or constructive feedback needs to be given in the moment. Um, feedback needs to be given in private praise and public, right? That's the, that's the rule, but, but it's important to make sure that folks are getting that, that, that feedback on how to improve. And especially if you're going to hire high performing people, they expect to improve. They, they want to improve, you know, often, you know, I've got folks on the team, on mine and others where you'll give positive feedback and they'll kind of want to race through that. And they'll say, well, like, tell me what I can do better. Like, like surely there's something I can do. And, and they're, they're looking for that. They're craving that. And so ensuring that you're doing that in the moment when, when there is an opportunity, it, it, it really helps retention, which is interesting because otherwise folks are not feeling like they're learning or that they're growing or they have this heightened sense of like what they can do and like what they're doing, they're already amazing at. And so there's no room for growth. And so why should they keep doing it? Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is having the career discussions. Uh, I ask in the interview process at every level, you know, careers are long arcs. So, and their journeys, you're going to be on this journey with me for, for some period of time, hopefully for a very long time, maybe a short period of time. But in any case, like, where am I taking you to? What is the end goal for the next five years. Again, I don't ask anyone for longer than that because I don't think it's practical, but you know, what's the, and, and maybe you have a long-term goal. And so that'll come out, but then we can deconstruct how the opportunity that you're in currently will translate into that in the future. And that comes back from that, that Yodel um, story that I told you where, you know, there's so many of us that have become, you know, heads of, of these various companies. We all talked about it. Uh, both with our with our boss at the time, but also with each other as to like what we wanted to do. And so that was important because that it's it's not, you know, it's not happening right away, but at least everyone knows what the goal is, right? When I was at Yodel, I was very vocal about wanting to start a company. And that's actually why John Berkowitz, who's CEO of Ojo, like knew that hey, Naveed had this entrepreneurial itch back then. And 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 maybe I should talk to him when I'm starting this company and see if he's interested in joining. So I think having that that level of again comes down to transparency. I guess that's the theme, Megan. But ensuring that we're having those career discussions uh, is important, and, and not just putting them off to the annual review cycle and then not talking to them, not talking about them again. Yeah, so true. It's very important to have a goal. It's very easy to just kind of 
fall into a career and then just kind of stumble through it your your whole life. But having a goal helps you get to where you really want to be. Absolutely. And we've touched on this a little bit, but the pandemic has fundamentally changed the workforce model forever. Um, so what have you learned these last 18 months and how are you adapting to these changes to keep your employees happy and engaged? Yes. So the it's a good question. And yes, we did touch on some of it with the, uh, with the, with the transparency, providing certainty in an uncertain world uh, and, and just open communication. You know, along the lines of communication, I think ensuring you're checking in with your people at least weekly. I have weekly one-on-ones, which, you know, believe it or not, is not the norm uh, in, in a lot of companies that I've talked to. And, and they should be productive, right? So just not having a meeting for the sake of it. But during the pandemic, especially, and especially in a virtual world, you know, where I may not see people walking around and sort of feel the energy or feel whether someone's doing well or not or hear about it, it's important to have that one-to-one communication to ensure that that you know, everyone is engaged and, and feeling good about their job and, and their work. And the other piece of it on the engagement side is, you know, we at Ojo do, you know, when we were in person, um, we had a lot of like sort of like group um, and sort of company-wide, you know, sessions. Like once a month, we would do, uh, you know, company-wide uh, Ojo. We used to call it Ojo. We still call it Ojo Celebrates, where, you know, it's like hundreds of people uh, you know, dialed in. We've got offices, you know, across the country with Canada, we've got an India office. St. Lucia is a huge office for us. Um, so people are just sort of dialed in from these various locations. But when we were in person, like it would be the Austin group would be together and then, you know, the other offices would be together. And we would talk about things that we're celebrating in our lives. So not necessarily work related, but we could talk about work. But like somebody would say, I just bought a house and it took me six months to find it. And, you know, I finally found it and I closed and we're moving in soon or I'm having a baby or, or, or anything, right? Like something like I'm super excited about this concert I'm going to, I've been looking for tickets for so long. And then, you know, there's just ways to connect um, with your fellow coworkers. And we continued that during the pandemic. And, and believe it or not, like we, we continue to get almost full attendance in these things. We thought as a, as a management team that, hey, we're going to see some drop off, like when it's virtual, like people don't have to attend, it's not mandatory, but people dialed in even more, I would say, right? And so that kind of engagement is, is incredibly important. Um, our, our people team has done an incredible job outside of that, keeping folks engaged. I think if you, if you were to walk into one or get onto one of our Zoom meetings, you would see almost everyone wearing an Ojo t-shirt or Ojo hat, or some sort of Ojo gear. Uh, I personally do not have uh, any regular clothes left. Um, I think I just have Ojo t-shirts. And so my hope is we never change our name because then I would have to go buy a lot of things. But, you know, and it's not just to give swag, right? It's, It's the idea is that we've been sending these monthly boxes to folks or quarterly boxes rather that have like you know, like a nice t-shirt that got like, you know, and, and it's like a survival kit for COVID. So you've got like a Yeti, you've got like post-it notes, you've got like, you know, little motivational things that you can put on your desk. Um, you know, things that, that tell folks that, Hey, we're thinking about you and, and, uh, and we're still engaged. We're still here. We're still top of mind. Uh, those things are really important. Um, and, and so that's, that's changed in my mind, the workplace model, which is, you know, I believe that most companies will be in this hybrid space. I, I don't think the office is dead. I think the office will be a 
useful collaboration space, but you will have this hybrid model. So how do you keep folks engaged in that? And we have we have learned that muscle uh, over the last 18 months and done a pretty good job at it. And we're going to continue doing that. I think in ensuring that that engagement level exists and finally, and, and very important, is measure it. We measure everything and, and we measure employee engagement, employee satisfaction. You know, sometimes folks will say like, there are just like too many of these surveys. And we're like, look, we, we spend a lot of time ensuring that we're doing the right things. And that's one of the only ways we can go get feedback in the virtual world. Um, when we go back to hybrid, <clears throat> there will be more informal opportunities to gather that feedback in person and whatnot, but you got to measure it. You, you won't, you don't know what's happening behind that screen if you don't measure it. So that's an important part of it as well. And as you're bringing on new people to the company, how do you get them incorporated into the culture like immediately? I, I think a lot of people are worried about how that's going to be done in a virtual world. Yes, uh, it's a, that's a good question. So we we obviously send like the typical package of like, you know, you're getting all of your Ojo uh, along with your equipment. You're getting, you know, your T-shirts and your hats and this and that. That's so um, great. Maybe, I love that. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it, it feels like there's so many posts that I'm like, is every company doing this? And it, it's not actually the case, but people, when they get it, they want to post about it. They want to talk about it. It's, it feels like a very welcoming experience. Um, you know, when I started at Ojo, you know, even as a second employee, like John sent me, you know, like a basket of goods. And, and it was like, hey, thank you so much for, for joining the company. Like, I'm super excited. There's only, there's only two of us, right? So, it, it, but it felt like I was, I was getting on board. I was doing something. So I think that like sort of physical, like I'm giving you something that, that represents that you're part of our family, uh, which is how we treat our employees, uh, is important. And then right away, um, I would say every three weeks or so, or maybe every month, um, all new hires have a 90-minute session with our founder who walks through the history of the business, our strategy, where we are currently, what our goals are as a company. And, and then it's just like a Q&A that anyone can ask. And so that, that has been super important in this virtual world because most companies will onboard you and, and then like you kind of you get it. If you're a public traded company, you can just like look online and see what like all the different parts are and where you fit in. But when you're not, and, you know, it's, it's helpful that the founder is sitting there with you, showing that passion, showing why he does this and what it means to, to be at the company. And so that's an important part of how we onboard employees. Yeah, that's great. Sounds like a very welcoming um, environment. Yeah. So what is your view on continuing education slash training? Do you think this is something that should be mandatory or voluntary? That's a good question. I'm trying to think if that's the if that's how I would want to frame the question, because I believe that learning is ongoing and, and should not necessarily be mandated uh, from top down, but should be uh, it should be a mindset. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, I've gone to college, I've gone to business school. I've learned as much from the textbooks as I have from my classmates and my teachers and my mentors and my colleagues. And so I would say it needs to be ingrained in the in the culture and the operating procedure of your function or company. So potentially I'm not answering your question directly, but what, what I'm saying is that, you know, ensuring that learning opportunities exist, meaning as an example, if the financial planning team is doing a modeling exercise, that doesn't mean that the senior accountants and accountant accounting team can't sit in on that. They should, they should be able to see that. That's something that I 
plan on doing for my team more and more so now um, in, in um, ensuring that folks are just getting that exposure, right? To see like, well, like what's in a financial model? What does that mean? Like, how, can you teach me? And, and what I want the learning to be is not, hey, go get a, go do a course on this. It's, hey, why don't you sit down with this person and teach them how to do a financial model? Like do that for 30 minutes, do that for an hour. And I think that kind of learning opportunity and education is, is really important um, because I think you learn a lot more and a lot faster in that way. Um, beyond that, you know, there are typical things around like, you know, getting accreditation, you know, having, making sure you're doing your continuing education for your CPA or whatnot, um, that I, that we support at our company. Um, you know, we were, we're actively talking about tuition reimbursement, and I think that'll be something that we'll be able to do in 2022. And so, you know, that's an important thing to, to sort of support. Um, and so I think it should be not mandatory in that I told you to do it, but it should be a, a mindset that you come in with uh, and are looking to learn um, in any case, just because it's it's changing so fast. You know, the the uh, I listened to some of your other uh, uh, podcast episodes and, you know, just the, the role of the CFO and the finance function in general has, has sort of moved so rapidly that you need to keep up with, you know, whether it's new tooling or new methods on how to do things or learning new skills. I, I believe that that is an ongoing process for, for me and anyone on my team. And lastly, as a CFO, what, what's keeping you up at night these days? So I believe, you know, having been at, at Ojo for so long, uh, what kept me up in the beginning was, are we going to make it right? We, we, we were looking for product market fit, or we had to look for investors. We had to ensure that we could hit our hiring, you know, like hire enough people and, and make sure that we could actually, you know, do what we had set out to do without, you know, running out of money as an example. So that, that that's what like the early days were about. Um, I think now it's sort of flipped, you know, we've, we've, we've had success. We've got investors rallying around us. We've got, you know, the best talent uh, in the world working with us and ensuring that this company sees its true potential, uh, I would say is, is, is often where I, where I think about, you know, if you were to ask me what keeps me up at night is, is, you know, making sure that we achieve everything that we say we're going to achieve, making sure that the expectations we set around ourselves uh, and that the team has put around themselves is ultimately achieved because, you know, that that's magic. That's something that doesn't happen often. Right. And there's been a great deal of luck involved in how we've gotten to where we've gotten to and timing. And this doesn't happen all the time. You can have the best team in the world, the best you know investors, you can have founders that have done it you know 20 times, but you can still, you know, not achieve the full potential. And, and that's something that, that I'm sort of, you know, bent on ensuring that, that we ultimately achieve. Right. And, and, and really hit our mission of serving a hundred out of a hundred. And I think that will change the home buying and, and uh, ownership landscape um, as we see it. And as you, as you know, it's a very topical area uh, today and, and we're excited to, to be part of it and, and to really be part of the change. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you and, and Ojo are really raising the bar. And, and then um, the challenge with that always becomes keeping up with it. But That's right. That's right. Navi, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me, Megan. I appreciate it.
Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and the resulting insights. And you've given us some wonderful advice today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. And I wish you and Ojo Labs all the best. And to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.